0: This podcast is underwritten in part by the NIV Biblical Theology Study Bible with General Editor D.A. Carson, the only study Bible built on biblical theology, inviting you to marvel at the big story as you savor each detail. The website is whatisbiblicaltheology.com.
1: Well, welcome to The Mortification of Spin. My name's Carl Truman, and I'm here with my usual co-host, Amy Bird. Todd Pruitt is absent. I think there's been some kind of crisis on the donut machine at his church, and he's off uh, trying to to get the donuts machine repairman over to put things back together. Uh, But I'm going to be rolling deep with my crew on what I hope will be a fresh-to-death episode of Mortification of Spin. Amy, are you impressed with my uh, grasp of the 18- to 22-year-old lingo, having only oh, been at Grove City for a been, few weeks?
2: You've been working hard, Carl. I and, have. Um, you know, our communication has, has definitely – de- I've definitely noticed some change in your language. Yeah. And I found
1: it a bit in to begin with, to be honest. Yeah, but, I mean – But now it, it's you, definitely fresh to death.
2: Now that you're making all that mad cheddar over there at Grove City, I think what I'm noticing is that um, you've – Somehow picked up on slang language from the early 2000s. Well, you know,
1: I have been mobbing, mobbing with my crew, but maybe that explains. Uh, We actually have another guest on today uh, to add to the overall cool hipness of our vibe, and Mm -hmm. that is uh, Cruella DeVille. Cruella, yes. welcome to the show. You've been the power behind the, uh, the scenes for a few months now. It's great to have you on board.
3: Thank you. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you today on the front line.
1: Excellent. Well, <laughs> we're going to be rolling deep, as I said. Rolling, rolling deep. deep. Uh, with Cruella. With Cruella. Cruella. Question. Church programs, are they a good thing or a bad thing? Amy, Sometimes. what do you think? Sometimes.
2: Sometimes. That answers both questions. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's a good Anglican answer, actually. Good Anglican answer without sometimes. actually taking a stand.
2: My brother said once that you can pretty much answer any question with the word "sometimes," wow, and get by in conversation. And I find that to be good good for this topic today because church programs can be a very good thing if they're if they're serving the church's mission well. Sunday school itself is a church program,
3: mm-hmm.
2: really. So, I'm but it could also they can get out of hand. They could Totally go far off of the the mission of the church they could overburden a church. Um, I know often you want to get involved in all these different good things helping equip disciples and also even to share christ 's love with the community and to evangelize but you can stretch yourself really thin and and the next thing you know the focus is on what you're doing and all your programs and not so much the gospel itself that you were hoping to the programs would be
1: serving well? Yeah, I think one of the, the things you're pointing to there is that foundationally we need to decide, first of all, what is the church? and what is the purpose of the church. And it's only once you've sort of laid that kind of foundation that we can then start thinking constructively or critically about what programs we need to, well, not so much we need, but which we can connect to the church without damaging Mm -hmm. the fundamental mission of the church, and perhaps even even enhancing it. So, you mentioned Sunday school. I think Sunday school is a, a good example. I would not regard Sunday school as an essential for the church. Uh, I uh-huh. certainly would not regard somebody who was not attending Sunday school as committing sin by not being in Sunday school. On the other hand, there may be many ways in which the underlying purpose of the church, the proclamation of the gospel, the discipling of individuals, the growing in grace, the growing in community that the church is, is to promote, can be enhanced by, by a good Sunday school program.
3: Sure. So where do we draw the line? So what are good programs? Can you give us some example of what are good programs and bad programs? Something that will divert the people from the church of the mission of the church? Yeah, I think
1: it almost, first of all, one needs to, to think back even a step before that and look at the church you're talking about. Because I think, for example, of Cornerstone, the church where, where I pastor in Cruella, where you're in fact a, a valued member, mm-hmm. of course. Yeah, yes. There are budgetary constraints. We have a very limited budget, yep. and therefore the, the possibility of developing programs is considerably more limited. I could see, you know, if you're a pastor of a mega church like Todd's with tens of thousands of dollars mm-hmm. rolling mm-hmm. into your coffers, week up, yeah, you could,
3: you could got put great on some programs. very good and
1: very helpful programs that in a church that's run on a shoestring might well be a luxury.
3: Yeah, not only budget constraints, but also um, people to work on those programs.
1: Yeah. The the material conditions of your local church, I think, are going to have a profound impact on on the legitimacy of programs. Uh, Todd's church might be able to run, for example, four different streams of Sunday school, dealing with four different topics simultaneously. Mm -hmm. He's got the building, he can do that. He's got the personnel and he's got where necessary the money to be able to do that. Cornerstone, as you know, we don't even have the physical space to do that. And I think to try to, to run four adult Sunday schools at Cornerstone would be, would be counterproductive and damaging. So even a good program in certain contexts could be, could be bad or damaging mm-hmm. to the church.
2: Absolutely. I think also like, the idea that you need a program to do everything. Like, there's kind of a mentality of that in the in the church today, I see. One person I saw on Facebook was kind of mentioning a church that they just visited. They're switching churches, and they visited this church, and, and that's exactly what they focus on. All the great programs in which this church serves the community, and how they're proud to visit a church that does that. Nothing was mentioned about Christ <laughs> or His gospel, and and I thought, wow, like, she didn't even mention the preaching. But... At the same time, I think a lot of people come to church thinking, "Oh, I see this need in my community; therefore, the church needs to have a program for that, so that we can all do it." Instead of maybe just rolling up your sleeves, if like we are sent out every Sunday with a benediction, right? Mm-hmm. And that benediction is a, a blessing from God, but it's also usually followed by a call to do God's will, exactly. and um, and so the mission of the church and, and and proclaiming the word and making disciples. We have that special mission as the church, but then we also have the great commandment to, to love our neighbor as ourself. And everybody's given this great commandment and we can do that in so many different ways. We don't always need a program. I think it's maybe our way we even look at our society as a whole, like we just are so individualistic that we like rely on institutions now to be able to serve instead of to just do it. But then when I see like churches that might have a couple little ways to serve, like my husband helps. And one of the things that our church does is serve breakfast once a month to the rescue mission, but you got to get up at 530 in the morning on the weekend and do it. And so guess how many people sign up? <laughs> <laughs> Not very many, you know? And so it's just, just quietly serve sometimes too. I know some things take big groups and organizations to pull off big things and, and that's great but um so often it becomes like some sort of marketing yeah. for the church instead and then it's like very contrived like look at us
3: yes it, it can sound very um, self-righteous a lot of times and uh, people saying, look all these things that we are doing for our community what is what is your church doing for the community well, my church yeah. has only 100 people, you know, maybe a little more than that. No full-time staff, but we're there every Sunday preaching the gospel, proclaiming the word, and uh, partaking of the means of grace. Mm-hmm. So, if we if we could do something in our, in our local neighborhood, that's great, but mm-hmm. the, the expectancy of putting up all these programs to feed the poor and, and clothe people and throw a concert here and there to entertain the kids. It's just not possible a lot of times. So uh, as we were talking before, the big churches can overtake the small churches. So everybody... And
2: and there's even little things that small churches can do that doesn't require like, I don't know, the session of elders to get together and say, what program, you know, do we exactly. want to do? Like, um, you know, someone in our church saw an opportunity, which is, you know, rare to get this kind of opportunity to where we can actually help spread the gospel and evangelize in an after-school program at her public school mm-hmm. that her kids go to. And so, she met with the leadership and we worked it out and it's happening and it's really exciting. It and we asked for people to pray for it, you know, if, if you can't serve on it or, to you know, do different things like that. But it wasn't like this, big idea that the elders came together and said, you know, this is what we want to do. This is our church's program. You know, it it was a person in our congregation who saw an opportunity.
3: All right. Now, um, I had a person coming to me the other day and saying, I'm leaving my church because I want to do something for the kingdom. And at this church where the person is, is right now doesn't have programs So he's saying, I need to go and do something for the kingdom. Therefore, I'm moving to this big church who has all kinds of programs. So what would you say to someone like that?
1: I think, first of all, I'd say, well, actually, God placed you in this other church. So the first thing you've got to think about is this is where God's placed you. And the question is not, uh, did God make a mistake putting me here, and therefore have I got to move somewhere in order to fulfill God's purpose for my life? But how shall I be obedient in the context in which I've been placed? Secondly, I think connecting to something that Amy uh, said or maybe, maybe hinted at a few moments ago, I think we live in a world where the idea is that the only things that ever get properly done are those that are properly organized. It's kind of technocratic yeah. world, if you like. And I think there's some truth in that. For example, if you, if you think of a, a church having a, a regular congregational meal, that can fulfill a very useful mm-hmm. function within the life of the church. But in some ways, far more precious and far more significant are the times when members of the congregation just open their homes exactly. spontaneously to other people and invite them to their homes. And we, we can be in danger of, mm-hmm. of losing that. You, know, you see this, particularly, I think, in Western, maybe particularly in American society, the need for all of time to be regimented. Yeah, I grew up at a time when, during the the holidays, I just jump on my bike and go out for the day, cycle around, come back in the evening to get fed. It was spontaneous. Now, of course, we have these regimented <laughs> yes. programs. Kids need to be at this yeah. uh, VBS mm-hmm. or that sports backyard camp, ball. This, has died. The, the whole idea of leisure, of spontaneity, has gone, and I wonder if the church loses something when. It regiments everything it does in a kind of technocratic way. And so maybe I'd say to that person, you know, you want to do something for, your king, for the kingdom, start inviting mm-hmm. people back to your house on a Sunday. Uh, mm-hmm. It's actually going to cost you a bit It'll yep. cost you a little bit of money, but cost you more in terms of time. And maybe you're going to have to hang around with people that you don't really like for a bit. Sure. Uh, I mean, I've been doing this podcast now for six, seven years, <laughs> hanging around with people I don't really like. Ouch. <laughs> But, I, but I, I take a hit for the kingdom, you know. So, no. <laughs> Joking aside, it's, uh, I, I think the spontaneity and the mm. personal sacrifice are lost when we're always looking for the program to do it for yeah. us. Take responsibility. I mean, I've been in uh, churches without mentioning names where you'll constantly get complaints from people that you're not doing this, that, or the other. Uh, or that we, you know, we can't afford a full-time pastor, complaints coming mm. from people who aren't giving. And sometimes that the problem you're trying to solve is actually the problem you yourself are creating through your lack of commitment, and that needs to be addressed. So without knowing who you're talking about there, uh, Nayara, I, I wonder if that is a genuine mm-hmm. desire to serve the kingdom or is it an excuse for mm-hmm. not serving the kingdom in hard yeah. and sacrificial ways, which would be required in the church that person and is And piggybacking currently, currently on faced. something that
3: someone is already doing, right? It, it sounds like government stuff. Yeah. If the government put up the program, yeah. you know, instead of taking this step, I, I've been in a church where the pastor said, well, you see a need in the church? Step in and take over. Start doing something. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Of course, there's some, you know, yeah. you need to be talking to the elders and having permission and you need to be qualified to be doing what you think you would be good at doing. But if you see a need, just jump in. Stop waiting for others.
1: Yeah. And sometimes pro- this is not a problem mm-hmm. intrinsic to programs, but churches with lots of programs can play to a consumer mentality yeah. among members or uh, Potential members. And again, to Mm -hmm. say that's not a criticism of programs. A church could have excellent and and good programs that are run well. uh, And the sinful dimension of certain people say, well, I want to be at that church because it has this program X that scratches my need. I heard recently of a couple who left a church because, quotes, the church wasn't meeting our needs. To which the obvious answer is, well, actually, your need is uh, that you're a sinner in urgent need of Christ's righteousness. (laughs) in order to flee the wrath that's to come. Was the gospel preached there? Yes, it was. Well, I think the church is meeting your needs in that case. These aren't needs you're talking about. They're perhaps legitimate desires or legitimate itches that need to be, that you would like to see Mm -hmm. scratched, but they're not things that are needs. And that speaks to me of that consumerist mentality that programs can play into. Without being sinful in themselves, they can be appropriated or can cultivate sinful attitudes in a better
3: term. Exactly. And just as you mentioned before, the the koinonia, the true fellowship of the believers get lost because now we're just doing something for third parties, maybe to the church itself, but maybe to the community around us. And we are forgetting the true fellowship of the believers with each other.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think the basic question for any program is, does it enhance the central mission of the church to proclaim the gospel and to witness to the risen power of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the community Mm -hmm. around? And secondly, do we have the time and the resources to do this thing without it detracting from that central core? Mm -hmm. You know, if the minister's going to have to spend a big chunk of his week now sitting at committee meetings rather than preparing his sermon, Mm -hmm. then probably that program needs to be managed differently or abolished. You should not be distracting the minister from that central calling that he has.
3: All right. Another question I have was, who are the targeted people of those programs? What do you think about programs for community? We have programs that serve the church, like Sunday school, like Amy mentioned. But some programs are community barbecues. How effective are those if you were not Proclaiming the gospel at those opportunities. You were just throwing Sometimes. a barbecue and yeah, that's it. <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes. No,
2: I really do think that they can be very, you know, great ways to um, build relationships, you know, and, mm-hmm. and a lot of times you, have, you you need to build relationships with the community and to be able to invite them into your church. Absolutely. You need to introduce yourself. And, and even ones that serve the community, I mean, The church has started hospitals and, and prison ministries and, and wonderful, wonderful things, but it's sometimes because it just (laughs) depends. I really think of, you know, how God is calling a particular church to reach out and to love and to serve in different ways. And, and sometimes you get this great opportunities to do big things and, and other times it's little things with just small groups of people in the church that go on unnoticed by the, The watching world, unless you post it on your social media constantly. (laughs) Uh, But and I think it's that whole life is performance, media saturated world that we're living in now has really put the pressure on church programs to be a little more contrived and look at me. I remember um, my husband and I when we were first married. We were at this church plant, and so you you do want to get the word out that you're there. And they they started these acts of kindness, and so we sign up to do some of these acts of kindness, but they were ridiculous it was um, handing out water bottles while people were getting off of work at a major intersection, <laughs> you know? And so, it's like you're, people
1: are, you know, I working wish I'd people. been coming off at that intersection.
2: It's it ridiculous, you know? So, it was like, and the water bottle had a label for the church on it, you know? And, and you're just thinking, this is crazy. I mean, here's these people, first you have to convince them that you're not asking for money, <laughs> that you're giving them something. And these are just people riding home from work. It was so contrived.
1: You realize that every church with an after-church water bottle ministry is going to be writing to complain about that.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, These weren't people who actually needed water. So sometimes. Sometimes it's helpful and sometimes it's not.
1: I I think it can be very helpful as well, particularly given the age in which we live, where the church has a very bad reputation, Mm -hmm. not because it preaches the gospel, but because it is Done or certain churches have done so much harm and it's been puffed out of all proportion by the media. Mm-hmm. I don't think it does any individual congregation any harm to appear to be a constructive member of the local community. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember at, at Cornerstone, it was a, a constant debate over, it was not so much with programs, we didn't have any. Uh, <laughs> really, we have very few because of the the lack of money, but there was, de- was a debate on the deacons fund, for example. To what extent is the deacons fund there to serve the the needs of the church. And to what extent is the deacons fund there to serve the needs of, of anybody who wanders in off the street and, and gives us a, a hard story about what they're going through at the time. And I know that there was some disagreement at times among the deacons over over how to apportion the money. But we always took the view that there was some role for diaconal money for those outside the church, as a way of demonstrating the love of Christ, as a way of giving a cup of water to the thirsty person who happened to, to wander in off the street. And I think perhaps that kind of rule applies to programs as well, that we don't want programs that, that deflect or damage that central Lord's Day proclamatory ministry. On the other hand, if we have time and resources to be able to do something nice for the community, to help build a, a reputation, then that's good. I mean, I often felt when we did the the Narnia in the Park at Cornerstone, mm-hmm. when I would sit on a rocky a chair and, and read a C. S. Lewis book to, to the local kids, and we would hand out tracts. Then there was a there was a gospel dimension to it, but uh, more than that, I thought we we used to have a gay couple for for some years. A gay couple were. Our, most loyal supporters, if you like. They were mm-hmm. there regularly. I had a chance mm-hmm. to speak to them
3: yeah, uh, on occasion
1: too. after speaking. And I always thought, you know, if if the gay issue and religious freedom issue becomes a real hot-button issue in Ambla, uh, these individuals, these two guys, they'll know that I'm not a hate-filled bigot. Yeah. They may mm-hmm. disagree with me, but mm-hmm. they'll know that uh, it's, not a, it's not hate that's motivating me. And I didn't see that that was... I saw that really as a, as a net gain for the church that mm-hmm. came out of that kind of program or ministry. So I would say you've got to use wisdom. And again, you have to take into account the resources you have. But if something gets the church a decent reputation in the community for very little cost, I don't see that as a harmful thing. Mm-hmm. And particularly when you're in a church, you mentioned church plan to Amy. If you're in a church like Cornerstone in Ambler, which it doesn't really look like a church. <laughs> uh, Anything that helps people know there's a church there and the people are friendly. If you turn up, you're going to be welcomed, I think is a good thing. Yeah. Uh, Get them in to hear the word preached on a Sunday. Uh, Be kind, be outward looking. And if they come to hear the word preached, then they're going to get the gospel.
3: Absolutely. Yeah.
1: So have we put the world to rights on this?
3: Sometimes. Anything anything more to be said? Well, the bait and switch... People who gain people through programs only. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think if you gain people through a program, you're going to lose them through the gospel.
3: Yeah. So as soon as you proclaim the gospel, as soon as the the gospel is preached and and people are really facing their sins, they will jump out.
1: Yeah. I don't think you should mistake the success of a program for the success of the church. Uh, If somebody comes to your church because of a basket weaving class you ran, (laughs) They may not stay when the gospel is proclaimed. I think the key temptation that a lot of churches have faced, of course, has been then to modify the Sunday service to reflect more of the programs in order to keep people. And I think that's, at that point, one has to draw a line and say, no, the church is the church, and we're going to do these, these programs, and if people come to church on Sunday, that's great, but you've got to realize the agenda for Sunday is set absolutely by the Word of God. Mm-hmm. And not by the perceived needs of the people coming or the way they perceive their needs.
3: But a lot of times that is not clear. When people come, they came because they saw the advertisement for the programs. And yeah. it, it, it takes a long time to become clear, if ever comes clear. So the day that the gospel is really proclaimed and the church is doing what the church is supposed to do, people feel, well, that's not what I signed up for.
1: Yeah, and that's a danger. Uh, And that, I think, points to the fact that we need to have a very modest expectation of what Mm -hmm. programs can do. I think, for me, programs are there to help supplement the teaching for those who are members and to make the church uh, an attractive place for people to come from outside if at all possible. And I mean, attractive in the sense that I described a few moments ago, not a compromised way, but in a way that people know that if they come, they're going to be greeted. They're going to be met with in a friendly fashion mm-hmm. at the church. Uh, they're not going to be told to clear off when they, they come through the door.
2: Right. And if you're doing, you know, if, if you have some things going on to where you're serving the community in different ways, you know, that is a witness to Christ, but we can't expect them, you know, some great exchange then. For them to then, you know, come be mature participators in church members. Yeah. It might just yeah. be one way that we invest in people, show Christ's love to people, but, you know, we don't know what he's going to do with that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you think we we mentioned Rosaria Butterfield, of course, many, many times, but there's a sense in which what attracted Rosaria to the church first was not the preaching of the gospel. It was the kindness of this pastor who reached it. Right. Her. Yeah.
2: That, that mm-hmm. was not
1: a program. That was a spontaneous. He opened his house. Exactly. He invited this lady to come and have dinner with him and wow, what an amazing consequence flowed as a result of that. Uh, so, again, I do think that, that programs and, and just informal kindness has a huge impact. Ultimately, of course, though, Rosaria needed to hear the gospel and needed to, to close mm-hmm. with the Lord Jesus Christ by faith, and no program can do that for you. Exactly. No, yep.
2: and, and, but that we, all, we are all called to love our neighbor, mm-hmm. and we're all given opportunities to do that. Programs can be very good, but we don't need to have a program.
1: Mm-hmm. No. No, but on the to, other to, hand, to love
2: our neighbor well. We need to do, be doing that. And that's my
1: fear. My fear is that an overemphasis on programs will lead to the death of the small church. Yeah. And I think when the small church dies, a lot of the things that only small churches can provide die with them. Yeah. The intimacy of fellowship and friendships that are more difficult to do at a larger anonymous church. Uh, the need for taking responsibility and stepping up and being involved that there is there in, in a small church that you don't get in a big church where, where there are programs to run anything. I think that the body of Christ will lose something if we become such a, a program-dominated world because that really shifts. I hate to use the terminology, but that shifts the economy of the church towards the big guys and away from the, mm-hmm. the small yep. corner shop outfits, if I can it <laughs> that way. Great. Well, uh, thanks very much for joining us today. Uh, As I said at the beginning, I hope you enjoyed rolling deep with the crew. (laughs) Uh, it's time to bounce (laughs) yeah um, please if you have a a few moments go over to our website mortificationofspin.org and uh, we have a few copies of the new Zondervan NIV biblical theology study bible to give away a team of 65 scholars contribute over 20,000 study notes and 28 articles on biblical theology that help connect the dots of scripture and reveal its major themes look for the registration link at mortificationofspin.org. And remember, we are a viewer-supported podcast, so if you want to leave any guap through our special <laughs> button that you <laughs> press there, please, please, we, we need some guap at this point to keep the program uh, on the air. Rolling. Rolling. Uh, it's been particularly great not to have Todd with us. I think he's been you know, <laughs> some kind of crisis in the, with the past. Starting a. Pastor programs and the machine in program. programs. <laughs> program. Yes. But he will no doubt be back uh, firing on all cylinders with the crew next time. Until then, see you soon.
3: Let me enter.
0: And be sure to listen next time when Carl, Todd, and Amy talk about...
3: When you have to stand up and teach, I think there are a lot of women, including myself, I need to keep growing in this, where you have done so much work on a passage and you are so excited to tell everybody about everything that you've learned, that you give an information dump of all of this information without any cohesive main thing that you wanna get
0: across. That interview is next time. Join us then. We do think it's important in a podcast to always provide an awkward moment. So, you know, to keep it
3: entertaining. I know. I listen to your podcast. I have many
2: awkward moment. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sadly, that's true. <laughs>